Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Today we talk about enterprise SEO, especially about management, because uh, webmasters often uh, try to cover a lot of aspects in SEO or hiring just one freelancer to handle the whole process. Uh, I don't know if it's possible or not, but it's very hard, you know, uh, to be jack of all trades. And I'm excited to discuss this topic with Tyson Stockman. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, in sunny florida great place you know <laughs> and uh, before we start just tell a little bit about yourself your background experience and why you decided to take this topic yeah excellent um so i've been in the seo industry for over 10 years i started on the in-house side working with a collection of sports specialty e-commerce sites um tennis warehouse being one of them worked for them both in the US as well as the business in Europe and was focused on their SEO, PPC, and also been into like kind of the general marketing side. Um, moved over to search metrics and led the uh, service side of the business in the US. So I was managing the client success team, the SEO consulting team, data services and account management. And then more recently have uh, kicked off uh, my own practice with a couple of colleagues and partners of mine. Uh, so with Jordan Cooney and David Bell, uh, we've created Previsible, which is an SEO consulting education and recruiting company. And basically whether, um, and we focus on the enterprise side of the business. So regardless if someone needs more of additional support and kind of external expertise, we have our consulting arm. I lead and focus more on the educational side of it, of how we can create education solutions to help manage SEO at the enterprise level. Um, and then also if a company needs to, you know, expand and grow their team, look to help, you know, both SEOs find great job opportunities as well as enterprise organizations kind of manage the channel of SEO as a whole. Yeah, nice, nice. Love your experience. I check out your LinkedIn profile. I found your content online. Yeah, uh, guys, if you want to learn more about SEO, you need to follow uh, and learn more uh, from Tyson. And uh, uh, I have the first question about um, uh, management. For example, uh, when I open uh, LinkedIn uh, jobs, uh, check out some uh, uh request that companies uh, uh submit on linkedin and i often see they uh, are looking for jack of all trades uh people who can handle uh i don't know keyword research link building even digital marketing campaigns facebook instagram and uh, i'm not sure it's possible to find uh, this <laughs> I don't know, expert who can handle all this process. For example, uh, I spent all my time to learn about uh, some niches where I can be good, but uh, I can't cover uh, all new techs, education, ideas for all uh, processes. Can you tell more why management is important and how managers can uh, impact the process and control, handle, and provide great results? Yeah, I mean... It's a great question. And I think one of the biggest separations between enterprise SEO and maybe like SMB or startup SEO is at that level and at that bandwidth, it's not going to be just one individual role. 
And whether that's having a team of SEOs on the internal side or coordinating and working with external partners or even just the management of other stakeholder groups within the organization, that's going to be the, like, the biggest separation. Where on the small like startup side, you have people that are wearing multiple hats and it's like you said, you have people that, hey, I want you to manage PPC, SEO, like anything digital. Where at the enterprise level, it's just simply the scale and the magnitude that you're operating in is not going to be possible. So I think when an individual moves from a smaller business to working at the enterprise level, one, they have to still have those hard skills within SEO and their specialization, whether it's technical content, you know, competitive research, whatever. But it's also then being able to kind of navigate through the corporate waters it's being able to partner with product and engineering. It's being able to partner with content. So you're having to speak all these different languages. And I think that's like an area where I've been super interested in is, is not necessarily am I able to identify all the levers to pull to improve traffic, but how can I actually get these through the organization, picked up by engineering, implemented, and this kind of like coordination with the other teams is almost an entirely different skill set and expertise to really see the value at the enterprise level. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, okay, let's start from the basics. Uh, what is the main difference between uh, common SEO and enterprise SEO? Uh, and uh, explain uh, how uh, companies need to understand this difference uh, to go in the right way. Yeah, I mean... Maybe, maybe to start that I'd start out on like the individual. So like mm -hmm. if, you know, if I was giving advice to an SEO that's been in the industry for a while and they want to make that next step to operating, you know, a larger enterprise website on SEO, I think the biggest difference from a tactic perspective is you're oftentimes moving away from a single page optimization or single kind of like, Hey, I'm targeting this specific group of keywords to then understanding how can you implement SEO strategies that are going to hit thousands and millions of pages. And so I think like that's a big component is when you're operating at the enterprise level, you, you can't just think of like one individual page. Like you have to mm -hmm. be thinking of what are the levers that I can put in place from like a directory or a domain level that's going to allow you to really scale growth. And so mm -hmm. the mindset and shifting away from more individual optimization to large scale optimization is one big piece. And then the other big difference from the individual that we kind of touched on before is also just how you're able, like the soft skills of interacting and working with this. You have to be able to mm -hmm. speak and understand what's, you know, what are the requirements that go into a ticket to get it picked up? So you have to know how to scope a ticket. You have to know how your organization works on building that business case and like justifying it, the relationship building, but then also at the same time, be able to speak the language to the creative teams and the content managers to then enable that branch. So it's like, you have to be able to think in a broader scale and then also coordinate and build those relationships with stakeholders from the company side of the question, like how to think about it is you're thinking not just how do I put in place or hire one individual for SEO, but how do I make SEO part of the organization as a whole and not to be a passive channel, but something that we're actively putting resources and individuals on. And that's not just going to be hiring one SEO or hiring one agency or consulting partner to come in and manage it. 
you need the buy-in from your engineering team. You need the buy-in from all these different teams. So from the management perspective, it's more of like, how do I get my organization aligned to then enable the recommendations and strategies from whether it's an SEO individual, a team of SEOs, but SEO in isolation is only going to have so much reach. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Love it. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, SEO results depend on uh, the whole team. Yeah. On uh, all uh, team members. But how to understand uh, who is working good, who is not? For example, I don't know. Uh, if someone uh, is responsible for technical optimization, SEO, uh, how to control them uh, and uh, understand uh, so we need to fix more here or uh, to uh, impact the process? Uh, because, for example, if I share all... Uh, task to others and without any control, I'm not sure that the results will, will be good enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and I mean, that's also like an excellent question because, you know, I've, I've seen like some amazing tech audits that then just mm -hmm. never got picked up and like never saw the business value, even though the work that went into that was top notch, you know, like mm -hmm. just quality, quality research, but then it doesn't actually see the light of day. And so I think, one piece is to move move away from this historical element of like SEOs this black box that we don't really know what's going on and it's kind of like controlling the information. So I'm a huge supporter of enabling and empowering these other teams. And I think education is one of the key tools to do that. I think the challenge is a lot of the education material is geared towards us as SEOs. And mm -hmm. so it's like, if I want to train up a content team on SEO, I'm not going to go over things like page speed and like all like structured data necessarily. And like all those other elements, I'm going to focus on just the elements that are going to make them successful and then enable them. And then you're always going to have this kind of like checks and balances on the quality. Mm -hmm. But the more that you're able to establish the resources and bring like the entire organization along with you, and it's going to be incremental steps. Like it's not going to happen over day, overnight, but that's going to ultimately free up bandwidth for you to focus on more growth initiatives, like net new projects that are going to drive organic search instead of just kind of like chasing after the cleanup work. And a lot of times mm -hmm. at the enterprise level, that's where we fall into this like trap of we're, we're hunting down and chasing down mistakes or kind of like self-inflicted wounds that then restrict the organic search performance instead of driving these new initiatives. And if you're able mm -hmm. to create the framework to both educate and keep line of sight into what's going live, then you're able to shift more time and focus into the net new instead of just kind of chasing down and correcting errors or self-inflicted wounds that might have been done because someone just simply you know, no ill intention, but they just simply didn't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Valuable. Okay, let's talk about priorities. Uh, if we are talking about enterprise SEO, it's a big website, uh, 100,000 pages, probably million pages. Uh, but uh, if uh, the Pareto principle uh, proclaims that 20% of uh, 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 job will provide 80% of results. 
how to find these priorities. You know, uh, for example, I often see when uh, websites with million pages just get traffic from 10 pages, 20 pages. Not bad with that. That's okay, you know, <laughs> if you uh, get what you need. But uh, for enterprises, you uh, it's better to cover more pages uh, that will get ranking. Can you tell more about priorities, how to find them and choose them? Yeah, and like, unfortunately, in this area, there's not going to be a one size like fits all to it. But mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. one challenge that you see within enterprise that's not present with, you know, smaller websites is going to be this balance of like, you know, crawl efficiency, page bloat, and not over indexation. And I think mm -hmm. when you're working with websites that are millions or even billion pages, the risk of just over diluting the index and kind of like spreading the signals too broad is going to be great. And so I mm -hmm. think one, you have to kind of encourage an organization to think about it of, Hey, it's fine if we have all these pages, but we're only going to index the ones of quality. And there's been several like projects that I've been involved in in the past where a company will be like, cool, we're going to create, X amount of pages, one size fits all, everything goes into the index. And then a significant portion of the pages that Google's visiting is going to be low quality. And you see mm -hmm. that in e-commerce, you see it in a variety of sources, but like in e-commerce, if you're not restricting the facets and like filters of what's indexed and whatnot, you're probably going to have a lot of pages that are indexed that are just empty. Meaning like mm -hmm. you had too many filters applied to it. And now there's an page in the index or millions or thousands of pages in the index that are just low quality because nothing matched that criteria. And mm -hmm. so that's a really, really key lever within enterprise is this blocking of search engine, making sure that whether it's your faceted search pages, or even you can see this in like UGC content, that you're not over indexing low quality pages that then is going to dilute the rest of your SEO signals. And so I think mm -hmm. that's an area that we've had huge success in the past of driving traffic by not necessarily creating more pages, but by restricting where Google's visiting, what's indexed, and then where we're actually, you know, pushing as a, hey, this is an important page to us, it should be prioritized in search. Mm, uh, can you tell more about uh, technical aspect? How do you restrict uh, 300, 100 uh, uh, error or a redirect or hreflang? More about that. Yeah, in this, um, there's a variety of ways. And depending mm -hmm. on the, the website is going to, you know, and usually it's going to require a conversation with the editorial or the product engineering team. Um, a couple examples that I've seen, like one, there's some websites that will basically, as you apply for certain filter combinations, it'll kick you into a different directory that's then blocked by bots. And mm -hmm. so that could be like, hey, you have one or two filters. It's going to go into this directory. And then once you reach a combination that's not going to populate enough results, well, now you kick into a folder that you can just completely block off and, you know, it's do that. So you could have your robot.txt file to give a directive to Google of saying like, hey, we don't want these pages indexed. Sometimes mm -hmm. people will play around with different like canonical tags, but it's not my preferred like method to it. Mm -hmm. And then you can also do it sometimes within types of linking navigation. So I've seen some websites where they'll have, you know, standard links for the facets that they want indexed. And then they'll use a certain combination of like JavaScript links that are not going to be crawled and then 
you know, like reached by a Googlebot. And so I think mm -hmm. within the JavaScript, you have to be very careful because obviously Google and other search engines are able to render JavaScript and see that. But there are ways of playing with that so the user doesn't notice any difference, but then you're preventing a bot from reaching a certain set of pages. And then there mm -hmm. could also be cases and say like it's, you know, deprecation of old content that, yeah, it makes sense to just get rid of it, like redirect it to a different page or just force Google's hands sometimes and make it a 404 intentionally. Um, but I think most of the time I'm more of a fan of either placing kind of like no index tags on certain sets of pages or using like a directory folder because it's just really clean and easy, especially when you're analyzing like log files. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's like really going to be dependent on the organization because I think just in my own experience, I've seen probably like five or six different ways and it usually comes down to a limitation in the like tech stack of the company. And so depending mm -hmm. on those restrictions, that's where you just need to have that open dialogue, really be specific of like what the objective is and maybe outline three scenarios and then just have a conversation of like, hey, within our system, what would make sense? Like, what can we do? What can't we do? And then just kind of go through the pros and cons of that. Yeah, Michael asking about uh, using some SEO plugin. Uh... Uh, to use no index, uh, make Google an index page. I think it depends, yeah, of this plugin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there, sometimes, you... yeah, yeah, go ahead. There, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, you can even submit the request uh, or a common on Robots.txt or on the page, but Google can rank <laughs> can rank this content. You know, so it depends. Uh, possible some plugins can help. You know, to <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, it's better to check out the plugin, uh, what uh, this plugin will do, probably uh, to add this command to robots.txt or uh, uh, directly on the page. So it depends. But yeah, check out reviews of these plugins. <laughs> and one other thing that I would say on that too is a lot of these are directives that we're giving to Google or search engines. And mm -hmm. since some of them are directives, they can also ignore it. So the same way mm -hmm. if you have a canonical Google choose to ignore the canonical tag like yeah sure there has to be some significant reason to do that but it's not a one-size-fits-all and i have had certain situations that we'll put in place something and then watch and see if it gets the results that we want and so you have to have this ongoing monitoring and that's why too sometimes you'll put a measure in place watch and hey it doesn't get respective okay now let's ratchet it up and add something incremental on top of that and so i think it's really important in these conversations too to be looking at log files actually seeing you know where google bots visiting and then taking that into account when then you're making further levers and also i always like doing like batches on the enterprise level so whether you pick select page groups or directories or things like that sometimes also with like multinational brands you could use a smaller country as like a testing ground cool, I got a good result or signal from it. Now let's scale it out to the other domains. And so I think that's another scenario as well is like, give yourself the testing opportunity, see how Google or search engines are going to respond to it and then scale out to the rest versus doing it just one size fits all.
Yeah, North Korea have no internet, but you know they upload you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let's uh, uh, talk about indexing. Uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, on Google Search Console, uh, we can submit ten uh, requests a day, ten pages uh, to uh, re-index uh, these pages. But uh, when we need to uh, submit more than 10 pages, uh, for example, for Bing, we can use uh, uh, a new tool, no, uh, uh, no index, I don't remember exactly. Uh, but uh, how to handle the process for uh, Google when we need to uh, submit requests, I don't know, about 10,000 pages that we need to check out them one more time? Yeah, and again, in this area, there's not a one solution. Like I've seen mm -hmm. Google respond stronger to certain ones than others. Um, so you have your super, super basic, like, hey, include it is a sitemap. Also, if it's a net new ones, I like to have a separate sitemap or kind of like a sub sitemap for it. So I can watch to see like mm -hmm. very easily how much Google's like process index on that. Um, but sometimes also forcing the hand and yeah, you can do the 10,000 pages, but sometimes using like hub pages and then also using high visited pages. So we've done like some projects and it's usually not the higher volume, but we'll play around with like throwing in different like carousels within the homepage. And so it's like, okay, it's not the exact experience of the homepage, but we're just forcing Google's hand to like reach these pages and cycle through several sets of carousels on like a high frequency because you know Google's going to be visiting that page multiple multiple times a day so i think you have one cement sitemaps you have like other areas but the more that you're able to and the larger volume of pages that you're going on having kind of like hub pages that are going to then spider out to a larger group of page and if you can get those into your high trafficked visit pages you can usually speed up the indexation rate of those. And mm -hmm. so playing around with carousels, you know, various types of like link packs, you want to make sure you're not kind of spamming on it, but there's a fine line that you can kind of balance between there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay. Uh, how to create content for a million pages? For, uh, you know, in SEO, we know that less but by quality. You know, for example, Brandin has, I don't know, 100 pages and yeah, crazy, and he has crazy traffic. But what about enterprise SEO? A million pages, how to create content? We need to have a team of copywriters, I don't know, a thousand copywriters who will uh, take care of this process, or uh, you can share other <laughs> tips about that. Yeah. Um... It's a great question because, you know, content, you have a human element or potentially mm -hmm. a human element. And so one thing, especially if you're talking about 10,000, 100,000 pages, NLP is going to come up in the conversation. And so I mm -hmm. think there has been a ton of progress in this. Google's recently made some remarks around like how they view natural language processing and automated content. I think you have to be very specific of the quality of that. So even if it's, mm -hmm. hey, it's okay to use automated content, you have to still ensure that it's a high quality. And typically the length and quality of the content that's going to come from those systems is going to be directly related to what data endpoints you have. So the more structured data and the more elements that you can include in that, the more opportunity you have for a longer form and more high 
like value content. The other thing that I'd say is within that, you can then take, as you mentioned, there's going to be like a 20% of pages that are going to drive most of the traffic. So if you use something like automated content generation, then ensure the quality and then identify those high priority pages and then layer human content on top of that. And even if it's in the way of like, hey, we're going to use an automated system to generate it. And then we're just going to give the final 10%, 20% of the creation to a human writer. That's going to be able to give you like kind of like mitigate the risk of something being too generic or too whatever. It's going to save the writers a ton of time. And so there's a lot of ways to kind of like play in that middle ground. At that skill too, I've worked with companies that will use a variety of content agencies. And sometimes these organizations will have one project on a significant volume of pages and they'll use five different agencies. And those may have hundreds of writers per, and it's just this big content machine that's going out. And so they're, you know, producing between a thousand and 10,000 pieces a month, obviously budget. And that's going to be like through the roof. Um, so I think it's always worth being selective and prioritizing. So understanding what your budget is, where you can operate in, and then just prioritize down from that. And more than likely, you're never going to reach 100%, but get as much as you can and make sure you're hitting the right pages first. Nice, nice. Uh, can you unhide more about uh, these uh, automation tools? Uh, I tools probably, uh, for example, from my experience, um, I see some websites uh, can get really big traffic, you know, uh, by using IE tools uh, for pages that have no uh, high competition. For example, if I want to compete with, uh, I don't know, probably Brandin, yeah, I can't compete with him with IE tools, you know, uh, it's better to use some uh, manual job, uh, high quality to spend time. Uh, but uh, for some pages, it's possible. Google uh, denies it and uh, uh, replies many times, don't use IE tools, don't hurt your SEO. But we can see them. We can see results in the top. And you yeah. mentioned about editing. I agree. It's better to edit. But how to find this balance and which tools to use, you know, uh, because we have a variety of tools. Yeah, and I think for me where I've seen a lot of success is where a portion of the content on the page is done in that way. And this could be as simple as like more just dynamic where you have a content block and then you have certain elements that are dynamic within that. And then you're layering in content on top. So I think, and it, again, it's going to come back to like your data points. And so there's been like interesting cases where someone like ESPN, U.S. sports site that would use automated content for baseball summaries where mm -hmm. not a ton's going on in baseball. So cool. They have all the stats for it. You can generate a lot of content from that. Other companies that use it a lot is like within the finance space on, you know, changes to stock prices, high volume, a lot of structured data that goes in. That one's a little tougher just because now you're operating in the your money, your life categories. Yeah. But I think one again just knowing what data sources you have and then you if you can also like differentiate and mix mediums on the page like it's okay to have some content that's duplicative and i know it's a maybe a slightly controversial thing but mm -hmm. if you're keeping that to maybe like 20 30 percent of the overall text on the page not super high risk in that mm -hmm. regard 
So I think that's one. As far as like the tools, there are definitely a variety of companies that will offer these kind of services. Um, usually that's going to be a pretty high invest in, investment. But then if you're even working on a small scale and you're like, hey, we don't have the budget to partner with one of these larger like content generation companies, but hey, we have you know two or three writers, let's use something like Jarvis AI and then use that to give the groundwork. And you could use like a content brief from an SEO or consulting company, pair that with some generated and then throw some human editing on top. You can really increase your scale and production volume in that way. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, Michael asked about, uh, is it good idea to uh, check out uh, uh -huh, progress in the search positioning on Google Search Console? Yeah, what do you think? Um, absolutely. And I think like the benefit is you have a bunch of tools, whether you're looking at just search console or if you're looking at like a third party, uh, rank tracking tools, like it's definitely something that you want to keep an eye on. I always like to additionally like advocate to be keeping an eye on the SERP elements. So I know that was a kind of part two, but it's like, if you're only looking at positions, there could be changes when you're looking at your traffic and it's not going to be explained by just being like, Hey, I was in position five consistently. Why is my traffic decreasing? But if you also are keeping track of like how the SERP landscapes evolving, that sometimes is going to have a big part into how you're actually like gaining the traffic who's above you, who's below you. So I think mm -hmm. thinking about the SERP as a whole and not just strictly on positions and average positions is drastically beneficial beneficial to understanding like the overall landscape yeah nice uh i remember when john Mueller replied uh one tool that you need to have it's only google search console you don't need to pay for any other tools do you agree with that or it's uh, by the way uh he uh, doesn't deny that he uh, you can use other tools yeah many other great tools but he replied you don't need them from your experience, uh, can you share your list of loving tools and why they are important for uh, enterprises? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and where do I where do I start on this? So, first piece. Sure. If I was to only choose one tool, it would be Google Search Console. Mm -hmm. But I do not think. I mean, all respect to. I do not agree that that's the only tool you need. And one of the biggest reasons for that is if you're only using Search Console, you're missing an entire competitive side. You're also not getting things like understanding search volumes, trends of search volumes. You're not understanding how your competitors, where your competitors are ranking. So it's like there's so much more <laughs> than just what you're going to get from Search Console. And they have been improving it. I do give, you know, a head nod and respect to Google for stepping up to just the communication to the SEO community has improved mm -hmm. in the last like few years. So it's like that I think should be recognized, applauded. But as far as like, if you, especially if you're working on the enterprise level and you have a big budget, I think there's no reason why you wouldn't want additional tools for it. So I think for understanding how Google's interacting with your content, where you're showing up impressions and, that's another side point. I love that they have impressions mm -hmm. and the other tools on the market hasn't embraced kind of impression data yet. Um, but I think just from the 
competitor view. Like if mm-hmm. I don't understand, well, is my market and my category growing from a search perspective? And if I don't understand where my competitors are and I'm not, it's like a self-serving piece. And if you're working with a small website, I think it is fine advice to say, hey, focus on what you know, do like control your world, and then that will return on your results. But if you have such a massive website, well, you're looking for big buckets of opportunity and competitor data can be huge for it. I think too, like, you know, obviously I've, you know, with my connections and working with search metrics, like I'm going to have a bias to like that tool from a competitor perspective. Mm -hmm. I think also one thing that I've largely missed by a lot of companies is they'll just look at what their traffic change was year over year. And so if you're Mm -hmm. like, hey, I grew 10% in organic search this year, but you look into the search volume of your keywords and the search demand increased 20%, well, you're still losing market share. Mm -hmm. So I think like you have to look at your growth or your change, and then you have to compare that to your market. And that's where looking at like monthly and seasonal search volumes and how that evolves over time is going to give you that context and that depth to make stronger business strategy decisions. And I think like mm-hmm. that side of like the business strategy within organic search that you don't get from search console. Like you just mm-hmm. get the measuring stick of where you're performing, what airs are, and it's like within your own ecosystem. But especially from like the like just overall business strategy and how organic search fits into it like that, I think you need additional data sources to paint a complete picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Let's talk about personalization. For example, for a small website, landing page, pay-per-click campaign, uh, we can personalize as maximum as possible. We know a buying persona, but when a website uh, has uh, a broad audience, uh, women, men, different ages, uh, how to personalize content for e-commerce SEO? How, how do we know that uh, content is personalized and uh, to satisfy the, the user intent? Yeah, I think especially at the you know enterprise level, it's a it's a really interesting aspect because you can definitely improve the user experience from that. But then you also have to acknowledge that for search engines, they're not seeing that personalization, and mm-hmm. so. I think one of the recommendations I'd have is yes, lean into personalization because if you can improve conversion rate, things like that, by having like more unique products to their browsing history and things like that, it's a great user experience. But from a search bot perspective, make sure that you're adding the same elements on both page types, essentially. I mean, it's the same page type, but you're essentially Mm -hmm. serving up two different versions of the same page. And so if you're adding an element of customization, make sure you're also adding an element for search bots. So the depth and like the breadth of the page is as exhaustive. And so I think a mistake that you can run into is like, cool, we're going to do a product similar viewed, but then on maybe like the cache version or the version that Googlebot's going to, they don't see that module doesn't populate or doesn't even exist. Well, that's going to be then a thinner page than what you're showing the actual users. So keep that parity, even if the actual like content of it is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk more about cannibalization. If we are uh, take a website with a million pages, 
how to avoid it, <laughs> you know, du uh, duplicate content, cannibalization. For example, if I open SEMrush, Ahrefs, any other tools, uh, I can find a list of keywords, a lot of keywords, but how to group them and uh, to use on uh, many pages, uh, especially if you're talking about a million pages. Uh, okay, I can handle a hundred pages, but a million pages, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, yeah, and I think within cannibalization, like first I would say you can check things like where you have stacked rankings. So seeing like, hey, for any keyword, which ones do I have multiple URLs ranking? And then kind of going about it, that approach. That's only going to show you obviously what's showing up. So then you have this other scenario of like, well, what if there's a similar page that's not ranking, but it's still di diluting kind of my links going to the page or whatnot. And so for that, whether you're looking for overlap in content or you're looking for, you know, take all the pages you have and do an analysis of like the similar keywords in the URL or the page title, things like that, you can usually like sift it down into a more manageable list that then you can like judge and decide. Um, one area that I think is particularly interesting though, within the cannibalization is, so on one hand, you're, hey, two similar, we don't need both, let's kill one page. But there are scenarios where you could introduce two pages on the same keyword that have different intents. And so say like you have one transactional page and one editorial page on the same topic, that can be a strong strategy because then you can actually, you want to stack the rankings. But I think the key when you're trying to do that is to have a differentiated intent of the pages. And so it's like, if you have a blog article on best running shoes and then a category page of top most popular running shoes, both of those pages can coexist and help each other out. And then when you look at a lot of the rankings within those top head terms, you see more diversification in the URLs ranking. And so we've mm -hmm. seen over the last two years, far more editorial and kind of longer form content on those top head terms. And so from an e-commerce perspective, that's a huge opportunity is start stacking up and having your informational and your transactional intent pages and let those coexist and have them play off each other, which is in a little bit of a tangent from your question, but it's like, it's something that I think too often we're like, Hey, one page, one target kind of things like that. But it's like, if you checked all those box, that's a nice way to grow and drive more traffic to your website as a whole. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I have the final question about uh, learning enterprise SEO. Uh, if someone want to be an expert like you, what they need to do, uh, where to find this <laughs> all skills and knowledge, uh, and to, I don't know, to, uh, to put it in your head, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just get it out of the way early. Shameless plug. Um, previsible is, you know, a company that myself, Jordan Cooney, David Bell, we created. And one of the pillars of our offering is both to help educate enterprise organizations on SEO. So creating those resources for those cross-functional teams, but then also giving resources to SEOs that have maybe been in the industry for several years, but they want to kind of learn the soft skills into it. So shameless plug in that regard, but certainly reach out to me, check out previsible.io. Um, yeah, we really want to help just one 
the industry as a whole, but kind of embrace that. The other side I would say is to really like you have tons of information around tactics around SEO. And that's like one thing I love about the industry is it's very open. People share. It's not like it's a pretty close knit community for the size that it is. Um, but a lot of that information is geared more towards like us as SEOs. And so I think one, the more that you can think about education to those other teams and the more effort that you can put to understanding the framework of an organization does the company use okrs how can you align seo to okrs if it's like understanding what system that the product engineering team uses for ticket management if it's a different editorial process for content like the more time and especially if you just moved into a role with an enterprise organization the more time that you can spend in just understanding the other teams is going to give you the baseline to then apply your different strategies and tactics to getting your initiatives picked up. Okay, guys, you need to follow Tyson Stockton and open his website, you know, to get all this knowledge. It's a big pleasure to uh, get you on my show, to learn from you, a lot of valuable insights, great answers. Uh, guys, uh, listen us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and yeah, uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.